Well, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good. That's good. It's going good here too. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, it is lovely to be here with you today. If you're here for the first time, we just want to say that you are so welcome. Uh, if you're joining us online for the first time, you are equally welcome. It is so great to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin. I'm the worship director here at BCC. And it is my pleasure to be able to finish our, with our final message from our assigned series this week. Um, over the last couple, well, five weeks, we've been looking at a whole different range of things to do with being called, being assigned, being called to a purpose. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been finding it really helpful and really encouraging. Um, I think uh, some of the messages that particularly stayed with me was uh, Nick's recent message on the Apostle Paul and about how God will give us his power, his purpose, and his presence. Love the alliteration, Pastor Nick. It always helps it kind of stick in the memory. And we had a great message from Kim a couple of weeks ago as well about how God is calling us to surrender. So there are so many different ways to think about what it is to be assigned, and, and we're going to get into that. Um, but can I ask a favor of you, for those of you here in the room and for those of you online, can we be expectant together this morning? Can we be expectant? And what I mean by that is, whenever we're gathered together as a church, and we come to God in worship, or we open the Word, we can be expectant that God is here in our midst. Amen? God is here with us. So we're not just engaging our mind, we're not just engaging our heart, but we're engaging our spirit. And we're saying, Lord, how can you speak to me through this message? So when I say, can you be expectant today, what I'm asking you is, can you believe that God is going to speak to you today? Amen? Can you all believe that? Yeah. Amen. Okay, cool. Well, I want to open with a story. Uh, this story is about a guy called Carl Brashear. Now, this guy, Carl Brashear, he was born in America in 1931 in Kentucky. Um, he enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1948. And quite soon into his time in the U.S. Army, he realized it became his dream that he could be a diver for the United States Navy. What is that, Kev? I'm going to tell you, church. What that is, is it involves being part of the Navy, going out on ships into the vastest oceans, and diving into the depths, sometimes to collect ammunition that have fallen overboard, to do salvage missions on planes that may have crashed, and sometimes just to actually rescue people that had fallen into the water. Um, but Carbrashier faced a lot of opposition when it came to realizing this dream. Um, first and foremost, he had to apply for six consecutive years before he was even accepted into the program because it just, they, well, to be completely honest with you, he was an African-American and there had never been an African-American Navy diver, so he was going to be the first, and they put up a lot of opposition against him in that area. But there were other things working against him as well. He had never graduated high school, he had never finished his education, and in order to become qualified, he had to take some really, really difficult academic exams. But he persevered, and he overcame. He applied for six consecutive years. He would not be deterred, and eventually he got accepted into the program which is awesome. Um, he graduated from the program and he became a Navy diver. So he overcame that initial opposition that he faced. But the story doesn't end there. He was serving for about three years 
when he was involved in an accident on the ship in which he was serving, where some equipment broke loose, a pipe broke loose, and it actually severed his leg, really, really badly injuring his leg. And it put his life at risk, actually. Um, Ultimately, after a few months in the hospital, what ended up happening is they actually had to amputate this leg, and a prosthesis, a prosthetic leg, was fitted. So even more opposition. He had a retirement that was forced upon him. They said, because of your injury, because of your disability, you can no longer be a Navy diver. But again, I want to tell you, church, the story did not end there. He put himself through a grueling training regimen, determined to prove that his disability and this injury was not going to hold him back and that he could still dive. And he did it. Long and short of it, he did it. He passed some grueling physical exams that actually quite regularly, fully able-bodied people would regularly fail. But he overcame. And he, it, you have to remember as well that this was, this was like, you know, the post-Second World War period. So we're not talking about some snazzy, like, oxygen tank with a little mask and some scuba diving gear and there he goes. No, we're talking like 300 pounds of metal that he has to carry the weight of on his body. And this is a guy who has only got one leg. But he overcame. So I think he's a really inspirational figure. And so does Hollywood, because there's a movie that has been made about him um, a couple of years ago. It's called Men of Honor. And it's got Cuba Gooding Jr. in it and Robert De Niro. And if you've not got any plans this afternoon, I would recommend checking it out, because it is an awesome movie. But we can be inspired and encouraged by this example, right? Carl Brashear is somebody who faced opposition more than you could even imagine, enough to stop any man. And he just powered through because he had a dream, he had a goal, and he was not going to be deterred. And there's somebody else. (laughs) Segway. There is somebody else that is like that, and that is Jesus. So, I have the pleasure today of talking to you about Jesus um, when it comes to how we can look at his life and how we can learn from him what it looks like to be called by God and to be, ass- to be assigned. So I'm really excited. I must admit, when Pastor Nick emailed me, I was like, Kev, do you want to speak in the last message in our series? Like, yeah, sure. And then he was like, do you want to speak on Jesus? And I was like, yes. Oh, no. It was like, where do you even start? I mean, does anybody know if there's any examples in the Bible from Jesus about how we should live our lives? Because um, that's what I had to look for. Um, Where do you even start? (laughs) Today's message, actually, I mentioned earlier that we were going to look at a lot of different things. We had been looking at a lot lot of different things during um, this series, a lot of different angles of what it is to be assigned. Um, Some of the stuff we're going to talk about today might feel a little heavy, but I'm going to ask you to stick with me because I promise you, as much as it might feel heavy, there is so much encouragement to be found. So can you do that? Can you stick with me through it? And I think we are going to be encouraged and inspired and not depressed in Jesus' name. <laughs> but let's just backtrack a little bit. Today is Palm Sunday. For those of you who are maybe not familiar with that language or maybe didn't grow up in church or haven't been in church for long, that refers to the story where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem on a donkey at the beginning of Easter week, and the people greet him, crying out, Hosanna, which means, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he was riding on a donkey, and they laid down palm leaves for him to enter in. And one of the reasons the people were so excited is because 
biblical prophecy, or in their case, Old Testament Torah prophecy in the scriptures that they all knew really well, said that the Savior would enter Jerusalem riding upon a donkey. And they were really, really excited about this. This is the beginning of Easter week, and a lot would happen in the next seven days. To say it was a significant time in Jesus' earthly ministry is an understatement. This is Palm Sunday. Within the next seven to eight days, Jesus would enter the city triumphantly, be betrayed by people really, really close to him, be arrested and sentenced to death, be crucified and take onto his body the punishment of sin that he did not commit, all of our sin, all of the wrongs and evils in the world, and he would die for our sake. And as we are going to say a number of times throughout this morning, the story didn't end there because we know he didn't just die, but he stayed in the grave for three days and then he rose again, church. He, raised, he was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why that is significant for us as believers is because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus is living in you and is living in me. All of us who would call Jesus Lord, we have his Spirit living within us. So to say that this day, Palm Sunday, and this week, Easter week, is significant, not just for our faith, but for all of mankind, is probably fairly accurate. But how did we get here to this point? I want to look at the life and times of Jesus and say, okay, where can we see an example of how we can wear this assignment well. And one of the things I want to talk about today is the opposition that Jesus faced. Like the story we told about Carbashir, the Navy diver, who had to overcome so many obstacles in order to reach his goal. In the same way, Jesus had to overcome so much in order to reach his goal. And we can be encouraged. That's what I believe. I believe we can be encouraged because we're not going to just look at the opposition Jesus faced, but we're going to look at how he overcame it. Amen? We're going to look at how he overcame it, and because Jesus overcame, and because of the cross, and because of Easter, we are now hidden in Christ. We have his spirit within us, his power within us. So church, if he can overcome his opposition, we can overcome in Jesus' name too. Amen? We can overcome in Jesus' name. And if you don't want to take my word for it, take Jesus' word for it. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In him we can overcome too. If there's one thing I want you to take away from today, it's this simple statement. In when God gives us, a, ha, let me start that again, this simple statement. When God gives us an assignment, we will face opposition, but in Jesus, we have everything we need to reach our goal. I'm going to say that again. When God gives us an assignment, we will face some opposition, but church, in Jesus, we have everything we need to, fa- to, to reach that goal. Amen? Amen. Um, so today, as we get into the examples... I'm going to be really honest with you. We're going to be honest about the difficulty of that opposition. But we are going to be encouraged because Jesus overcame and in him we can overcome too. Amen? Awesome. Great. Well, the first thing that I want to look at today is Jesus' opposition that comes from the devil. So it's a nice cheerful start. Jesus' opposition that comes from the devil. And in order to do that, I would like us to turn in Scripture together to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and we're going to start from verse 1. So this is quite early on. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. 
This is quite early on in Jesus' earthly ministry. He has just come out of the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist. He's just had that incredible, powerful moment where the, where the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and God's voice came down from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And what happens next is he gets led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And this is where we pick up our reading. So from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen. So it's safe to say the enemy was coming at Jesus pretty hard, yeah? He was coming out pretty hard. He first tried to get Jesus to break his fast, which was done in dedication to God. But Jesus rebukes him with a scripture from Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone. He then tries to get Jesus just to test God. But Jesus again rebukes him with a scripture from Psalm 91, where he says that you do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, the devil took him to a really high place and he tried to lure Jesus with earthly power if only he would worship him, not God. But Jesus rebukes again with Deuteronomy and says, no, no, it's also written, worship God and God only. So the enemy's coming at Jesus pretty hard, but it's safe to say that Jesus rebukes him pretty hard as well. I want to ask, this is the congregation participation moment. What's the common thread here? In this interaction it is written it is written it is written the word of God Jesus uses the word of God to rebuke the enemy Jesus could overcome the devil because Jesus knew the scriptures Jesus could overcome the devil because Jesus knew the word of God the enemy comes for Jesus really strongly but as we're gonna say again and again this morning that is not where the story ends Amen? That is not where the story ends. So for us, how does the enemy come against us? Now you're going to know this in your own life, in your own heart, in your own journey with your assignment, in your own walk with God. How does the enemy come against us? What lies does he tell you? What discouragement does he bring? What distraction or temptation does he bring We must remember what it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, where it says that the enemy's only goal is to steal, to kill, 
and destroy. So this is not a voice we need to be listening to. This is a voice that we follow Jesus' example and we rebuke and we fill our mind full of Scripture full of Scripture, so that when that day comes and the enemy comes to tempt or he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy, we got so many Scriptures in our heart, in our mind, in our brain, we can just kick the enemy in the face with those Scriptures. Amen? That is Jesus' example. That is Jesus' example, and it is enough for us as well. If Jesus needed the Word of God to overcome the enemy, how can we ever hope to do it in our own strength? Jesus could overcome the devil because Jesus knew the Word of God. The Word of God has power, so let's use that power, church. Kick the enemy in the face. Let's just, let's just do it. Amen? Let's just do it. So we overcome the, t- the temptation. Sorry, the opposition is the devil. Our response, based on Jesus' example, is we overcome the devil by knowing the Word of God. And also every time we talk about an opposition and an example, I'm going to give you the encouragement as well so it doesn't get too heavy. So here's your encouragement for this one. The devil only comes against important assignments. Let me say that to you again. The devil only comes against important assignments. If you're just kicking back, doing your thing, and what you're doing is of no importance to the kingdom, anything like that, then why is the enemy going to come against you? Why is the enemy going to come against you? No, no. If he's coming against you, it's because there is a unique call upon your life. There is a purpose upon your life. The the God is partnering with you to build and extend the kingdom, and the enemy is concerned. So if the enemy is coming against you, be encouraged. What you're doing is important. Amen? Amen? Amen. So that's our first opposition, which is the devil. Our second opposition, I'm going to call the world. And what I mean by that is... The people, (laughs) the people that we meet in our journey, the people that Jesus meets in his journey, from the people that outwardly oppose him to the people that were supposedly on his side. Um, He met a lot of people in his earthly ministry that presented some opposition. So for this, can we turn together, please, to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start reading from verse 5. The context of this is Jesus has been around Israel ministering for a while at this point, and he has had a good amount of opposition from the Pharisees. They are continuously trying to trick him, to trip him up, to get him to say something that is heretical or something that they can say is blasphemy so that they can have him arrested, have him killed, which in the way, in the end, they did anyway. But I think they were trying to do it a lot sooner. So this is Matthew chapter 16 from verse 5. It says, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples discussed this amongst themselves and they said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I wasn't talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he wasn't telling them about bread, but he was telling them about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I did a thing where I went through the Gospel of Matthew and I just counted up how many times that the Pharisees were a pain in the backside for Jesus. Just in the Gospel of Matthew. And between the start of the Gospel of Matthew and this point, there's 26 times 
where the Pharisees tried to trip him up or tried to come against him or tried to, you know, ensnare him. And that's just the part that Matthew wrote about, you know? I'm sure there was a lot of other stuff happened, and I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that happened behind closed doors as well. So it's safe to say that Jesus was frustrated with the Pharisees at this point, but that was not the only worldly opposition that Jesus faced. He, even just on this Easter week, if we look at the journey from Palm Sunday to the cross, he faced opposition from his own people. Judas, one of his 12 closest disciples, betrayed him to the authorities. Peter, on a number of occasions, said, no, Lord, let it not be done. No, Lord, not you, when Jesus was trying to prophesy and tell them about all the things that were about to happen to him. And then Peter eventually denied him three times at the moment where Peter certainly would have felt he should have most stood up for Jesus and who Jesus was. So he, he, met, he, he met opposition, earthly opposition, even from within his own circle. Also, the Gospels talk about how there were whole villages whole towns, whole, whole places in which Jesus could not perform any miracles because of the lack of faith in that town, one of which is his hometown. So Jesus faced earthly opposition. And then even again, just to plant us back in Easter week, the same people that greeted him as he came into the city and cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Those same people a few days later, would be part of a baying mob that stood in front of Pilate and said, crucify him, crucify him. So it's fair to say that Jesus faced some earthly opposition. So what's the example for us? Because again, that is not where the story ends, amen? That is not where the story ends. The truth is Jesus could overcome worldly opposition because he knew his main goal. Like Carl Brashear from our story earlier, he had his eyes fixed on the main goal, which for Jesus was the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the life-changing event that that would be. Jesus held on to that goal for all that he had. He would not be distracted from it. He would not be dissuaded from it. There was nothing that anybody could say or do that was going to stop him going to the cross. He had his eyes fixed on the goal. Amen, church? He had his eyes fixed on the goal. So for us, what is our goal? What is our main goal? I'm sure there are a multitude of different callings here in the room. I would encourage you, try and figure out the answer to this question. What is the main goal of my assignment? What is the main goal of my assignment? And once you have that figured out, let's follow Jesus' example. Let's hold on to it with everything that we have. Let's not be distracted by, from it. Let's not be dissuaded from it. Let's hold on to it. Let's fix our eyes on the goal and let everything we do be in service of that goal. Life is quite difficult at the moment for a lot of people. I'm sure for a lot of people here in this room. It has not been an easy couple of years. There's been job losses. There's been bereavements. There's been grief over a thousand different things. Life has not been easy. So when I say we fix our eyes on the goal and we hold on for all that we have, it's not that we should ignore that pain but we take it to Jesus. 
we take it to Jesus. We take all of the grief. We take all of the pain. And we take it along with the blessing and the challenge. And we say, Jesus, I want to I want to meet my assignment anyway. I want to meet my assignment. It is not always easy, but if God has called you to it, it is worth it. Amen, church? If God has called you to it, it is worth persevering with. So that is our example. We overcome worldly opposition by knowing our long-term goal. And our encouragement is, you know, the things of God don't always make sense to the world anyway, and that's okay. That's okay. That's in the world. It talks about how the gospel of Jesus Christ can look like foolishness to the world. So if you are assigned for the sake of the gospel, that might look like foolishness to the world. People might have something to say about it. People in church might have something to say about it. But that's okay because your assignment is between you and God. And you know the things that he has placed on your heart. And you know what it is you're supposed to do. So the example we can take from Jesus is we're going to hold on to that with everything that we have. Amen? We're going to hold on to that. So when the worldly opposition comes against us, we overcome by knowing our long-term goal. And we are encouraged by the fact that it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. It does not have to make sense to anyone else. Of course, take good counsel, but it's not something that everybody gets to speak into. So the third thing I want to talk to us about in terms of opposition that Jesus faced is the flesh. Now, that's a very sharp biblical world, the flesh. Um, it just means our human nature, the desires of our human heart absent from Jesus, the places where we get tempted, the places where we get discouraged, the places where we have thoughts that are not godly, the places where we just feel like we haven't got the strength and we can't do it. That is, that is the flesh. Um, and for this particular example, I would like us to turn Last scripture of the day to Matthew 26 um, from verse 36 onwards. The context, so that's Matthew 26, 36. Um, the context of the scripture is this is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night on which Jesus was arrested. And it's safe to say if you look at this story, Jesus is feeling the full weight of his assignment, the full grief of everything that he's about to go through. Like David said in our worship encouragement today, how much love was it that Jesus knew all that he would have to go through and chose to go through it anyway for our sake? And because of that, look at the new life we now have in Christ. But it is safe to say in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was feeling the weight of this assignment. Um, I'll start reading from Matthew 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to, to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 4, Paul talks about how we have a Savior that is able to sympathize with our weakness, that is able to sympathize with our condition. I think he's talking about moments like these, where Jesus, though he was fully God as well as fully man, was met with the fullness of the grief and the pain of what he was about to go through. And he even prayed to God three times 
if it's possible for this cup, this assignment to be taken away from me, can it be so? But as we keep saying, church, that's not where the story ended. Because he prayed three times, can this cup be passed from me? Can this assignment be taken away from me? But he also prayed three times, Father, not as I will, but as you will, and your will be done. Amen? He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He faced opposition from his flesh, from his own fragile body, from those limitations of the body that he was in. And yet, he's able to overcome it. And I want to tell you, Jesus could overcome the flesh in this moment because he knew intimately his heavenly Father. He knew his heavenly Father intimately. So for us, what are some of the things we're troubled by? What are some of the things in the quiet place of our thoughts and in our mind that can take us out? What are the things that lead us to the I can't do it moment? What are those things? I want to tell you that Jesus knows what it's like to be in that space. Jesus knows what it's like to be in that moment. Jesus knows how you feel, and the Word of God says he can sympathize with it. And the Word of God says even more than that. Because the truth is, how we see God will be crucial when that moment comes. So what can we do now to cultivate a deep, intimate, close relationship with God as we, as we just go through life. So when that moment of discouragement or that moment of hopelessness comes, you can go, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do any of this, but I know who my God in heaven is. I know who my Father is. Earlier on, we talked about how um, Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He actually has another promise that he says to disciples just before he rises into heaven and is lifted up into heaven. And it's something that we can take great encouragement from if this is where you're at today. He says, surely I will be with you always. Surely I will be with you always, even until the very end of the age. So our response to Jesus' example is we can overcome the flesh by knowing our God deeply and intimately. God never leaves us. He never abandons us, especially not in our most difficult moments. Do you want another scripture? It says, God is close to the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. God is close to the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. So that's our encouragement today, church. God does not leave us. He does not forsake us. He is with us. Amen? God is with us. Worship team, I'd, I'd like to invite you back up. So that's three different oppositions that we have talked about that Jesus faced, and I'm pretty sure we face as well, which is the devil, worldly opposition from other people, and the flesh. But there's not just three sets of opposition, there's three sets of examples. When the devil comes against us, we overcome him by knowing the Word of God. When the world, an opposition in the world would seek to come against us, we overcome it by holding fast onto the main goal of our assignment and not letting go no matter what anybody says or what anybody does. 
and also when our own flesh comes against us, we overcome by knowing our Father in heaven deeply and intimately. And we can be encouraged by these things, which is the enemy only comes against that which is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And that the world may come against your assignment, but your assignment was probably never supposed to make sense to the world. It was supposed to make sense in the deepest part of your heart, in your relationship between you and God. And in those moments when we are at our weakest, when our human frailty seems like it's winning, which is normal, um, we can be encouraged by the fact that God never leaves us or forsakes us. He is always with us, my friends. He is always with us. I got some spare encouragements that didn't fit into any of the preaching points that I want to give you now as well. Is that okay? You're seeing behind the curtain here now. Your assignment will ask a lot of you. But be encouraged because it will also be the breath of life in your bodies. It will be the reason you want to get out of bed in the morning. It will be the reason you do everything else. If you are called and assigned by God, there is no greater freedom. There is no greater feeling. There is no better place to be than be in the will of God. Glory to God for that. And you will end up in places and across tables in conversations and positions that you never could have gotten to in your own strength. God will use you in positions of influence that you could never even imagine. And here's the thing that I am most encouraged by. If you surrender, if you, tap, if you surrender like Kim said, if you tap into the power and the presence and the person of God as Nick said, if you overcome through the power of Christ, the opposition that comes against you, I promise you, you will become the person God has always intended you to be, doing the things He has always intended for you to do, church. We said earlier there will be opposition, and we also said that is not where the story ends, because when God gives us an assignment in Jesus, we have everything we need to face that goal. Amen? You still with me? Are you encouraged a little bit? Okay. Well, I want to leave you with two final thoughts. This is just amazing stuff. And I'm not talking about what I'm bringing. I'm talking about what it says in this book, in this wonderful living word from God. Jesus is not just our example, church. He's our source. He is our source. In the same way that a tree is planted in the ground and it gets its sustenance and its power and its strength from the earth, in the same way we must be planted in Jesus because Jesus is our source. All of this stuff that we're doing, we were never supposed to do it in our own strength. It was never about our independence. It was about being rooted because Jesus is our source. Amen, church. Jesus is our source. And then my final thought, just to leave with you, is this. Jesus is our example. He is our encouragement. He is our source. But when it comes to our assignment and the very reason that we are here, church, Jesus is our goal. Jesus is the goal. We talk about, figure out what your goal is. Jesus is the goal. Our assignments are done in service to Him, to know Him, to be like Him, and to make Him known. Because we have a world that needs Jesus, and we are a people that love Jesus. Amen? So, Jesus is not just our encouragement, but He is our source. He is not just our source, but He is our goal. His final two promises from, from the scripture to you today. In this world you will have trouble. 
But take heart because our Lord and Savior has overcome the world. And <laughs> on the days when it gets too tough, on the days when it feels really difficult, we can hold on to this promise that says, surely he is with us always until the very end of the age. Amen. So in Jesus, we will face opposition, but we can overcome because in him we have everything we need. Amen. Shall we stand together, church? Shall we stand together? Amen. We, <laughs> thank you. We're going to worship together now. And this song is one of my favorites, but that doesn't matter. But we're going to worship. And I want to invite you into making a response. You might wonder, why do we ask people to come down the front? It's not so we feel really good because we had a good altar call. I promise you, we want something for you, not something from you. And I don't know about you, but when I physically respond, I feel like it takes my heart and my head and my spirit with it. So in this moment, if you are feeling discouraged or lost or overwhelmed when it comes to the things that God has called you to, or just in life in general, please come down. Just come down and just ask the Holy Spirit to meet with you. God is our provider. He is faithful to provide everything that we need. So this is one of these God, I need you moments. So please come down. If you're feeling like you want to, but there's something holding you back, we are family here. Just come down. I promise you it's going to be okay. And then also, if you are feeling really good about your assignment right now and it's flourishing, please just pray for these people that are coming down and responding. And please give God praise for the season that you're in. And lastly, if you want to be assigned, if you don't know what your assignment is yet, please come down and just respond and ask God to give you an assignment. We're going to worship. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.